You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. This morning, we're continuing in our Advent series titled The Gift That Keeps On Giving, because we recognize this, the gospel of God's grace is something that keeps on giving. In fact, the gospel isn't just the way we come into a saving relationship with God. The gospel is the very means that keeps us in that relationship that saves us. The gospel keeps giving and it keeps giving for all eternity. For eternity, Christians are going to be celebrating the gospel. So that's what we're celebrating this Christmas season. In fact, Christmas is a just a fun season and a fun way that we can point to Christ. In fact, yesterday for our family devotional time, and I don't want to sell it like we have some beautiful family devotional time like every Saturday and it goes well. Oftentimes we end up disciplining our kids, sending them to time out. They're screaming. It's not this peaceful, beautiful picture. So just hear me out. But we did the story of the candy cane. And as Christians, we, we have this unique opportunity. There's certain things in our culture that we can openly receive good gifts from God. There's certain things that we need to outright reject, but there's certain things that we can be actively a part of redeeming. I think there's things in the Christmas season we can do that in. So every year we have a tree in our home and the tree can be a symbolic reminder that Christ is everlasting like the evergreen tree. It's hung like Christ hung for us. But we looked at the candy cane. And if you're not familiar, I'm going to be teaching our kiddos this week for our next week for our Christmas Eve service. But the candy cane is a really unique story because it started from a German choir master who would give his students a piece of candy to keep them engaged. And, and to make it more appealing for the church to be excited about it, he shaped it into the shape of a hook. And then another German person brought it over to the States, lived in Ohio, and started hanging them on his tree to decorate them. Then eventually a, a man in Indiana dyed them red and white. And so here's what's unique, is the candy cane, the red on it, represents Christ's blood that was shed to offer us forgiveness for our sins. And then the white represents this, that through and in Christ, we are pure, clean, and washed white as snow. It's in, uh, uh, if you flip it upside down, it's in the shape of a J pointing to Jesus and the other side points to a shepherd's staff as our shepherd who leads us. And so in all things, lights on a tree, lights on a house point to Jesus as light of the world. We have this unique opportunity as Christians to use the things in our culture that maybe is trying to steer them in another way to steer them back to Christ and celebrate them. And so I'm thankful for that and to be here this Christmas season celebrating with you guys our Advent series titled The Gift That Keeps On Giving. With me, turn to the book of First Peter. If you're new to your Bible and you're not familiar with it, it's toward the end of your Bible. So it's after Hebrews, after James, you're going to get to First and Second Peter. If you get to First, Second, Third John, or Revelation, you went too far, just go back to your left. I'll give you a moment to turn there. First Peter chapter one, and we're going to be starting in verse three. Our main point this morning is going to be this. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our living hope. So nothing big, flashy, super pithy or catchy, simply that. In fact, there's an old band called Sidewalk Prophets, and they did this song, and the song was titled, Hope Was Born on This Night. And so when we think about Christmas and Christmas season and a baby in a manger, what I hope that we think about is that that baby that grew up to be a man that died on the cross that rose from the grave, that is our hope. Hope is not some ethereal thing, something abstract. Hope is a person with a face, and his name is Jesus. And so we as Christians have a living hope. And so our aim and goal is to point to Christ, our living hope, this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the Christmas season. Every year, it's, it's almost funny that worldwide, globally, 
People are celebrating Christmas. And the first part of that is all about Christ. (laughs) And so people are singing Christmas songs pointing to you. They're declaring truths, Jesus, about who you are and what you've done. Every year, humanity is reminded that we need a rescue, that we need a rescuer. Every year, we're reminded that we haven't measured up, and so you sent your son. Every year, we are reminded that you love us so much that you gave the most precious gift, Father, you could ever give, your son. Every year, we are reminded, Jesus, that the author of humanity wrote yourself into the story to save us. We pray that through your word this morning, even as Brad said, that your word would cut us, but it would also heal us. That your word would challenge us, but also encourage us. Father, help us to listen. I know in this room and in our culture today, there's so many distractions. Pull them away right now and let us focus in on what you want to reveal about us today through your living word that points to our living hope, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please don't judge the sadistic story of my family too harshly, but I just want to share a story with you guys that happened this last week, or thanks, whenever it was. I think it was a week after Thanksgiving. My wife and I and our kids went down to Roseburg, where I grew up, to see my mom and my grandma. My grandma's 90, and so she is obviously nearing death. And so she brought up this conversation. It was really heartfelt. She said, Rick, I'm, I'm getting scared about dying. And and what she was saying is that I'm not necessarily getting scared about facing death, but she's like, I'm scared to face my creator. She's like, I'm I'm scared of this. And so we're we're gathered around and my mom's sitting there too. And you guys know my mom, she shares my my same sense of humor. And so she's saying all this and she's she's like, yeah, I'm scared. And my mom goes, I'd be scared too if I were you. You're pretty horrible. And so this is what my mom says, right? And so my my grandma's sharing her heart, right? And then I was like, okay, well, grandma, what would you say to God if you stood before him in heaven? What would you say to him if he said, why why should I let you in? Uh, And my mom again goes, he ain't going to let her talk. He's going to pull the lever, trap doors open, boom, gone. And I'm like, my goodness, mom. (laughs) They live together and it's like, I don't know, something else. But this was our conversation, and what I was trying to do is, is I was trying to see where my grandma's hope is. Because oftentimes you'll ask people this question, and I do this. Hey, if you stood before God in heaven and God said, why would I let you in to my kingdom? Why would I let you in? It's amazing how many people respond with a workspace righteousness. Well, I've, I prayed a lot. I read my Bible a lot. I did this. I did this. I didn't do this. I did these things. I stopped doing these things. I started doing these things. And what you've done is you've presented to God the very basis of your hope, which is the life that you've lived instead of the life that Christ has lived for you. And so simply put, I, I, I tried to explain to my grandma that my hope is not in how I've lived my life. I would point to Christ and say, my, own, my only basis for entering into your kingdom is the work that he has done that is sufficient for me. And so I was trying to point my grandma back to this, but it was derailed due to my mom's sense of humor. And so the reason I share that is because we're gonna talk about hope this morning and the hope of eternity, a living hope. And I think in some ways, this is kind of hard for us to focus in on. If you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, I think focusing on eternity is hard. But when you're in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, I think the reality that death is near, eternity becomes more real. Because you you start to realize this, where did life go? What happened? Things went by so fast. How did I get here? 
And so eternity starts to come to the forefront of your mind. And so we're going to look at that this morning, starting in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is God's word penned by the apostle Peter, inspired by God himself. Lord Jesus, this, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this text right here, we find it incredible (laughs) that Peter starts off praising. He says, blessed be the God and Father. Blessed, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he saying this? Why is he starting off giving praise and directing our attention toward praise? Well, he tells us. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According, he says, to his great mercy. There's another time in the Bible in Ephesians 2 where mercy is talked about. And in fact, what is ascribed to God is that God is rich in mercy. So one of the times that our Bible uses monetary value to describe something about God is his mercy and that he's rich in it. Here, it says that he, according to his, doesn't say average mercy, little mercy, medium sight, but his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So right here, what what, what Peter starts off this letter with is he's starting off the letter pointing us to a living hope. The living hope that we've been born again, and all this is not because of our efforts, our works, anything that we've done, accomplished, or can do. The gift of being born again to a living hope is because of God's great mercy. It has caused us to be born again, so God is the one who caused it according to his great mercy, and this has come to us through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. You have to see that because Peter's encouragement, Peter is oftentimes called the apostle or or, or the encouraging apostle is what he's saying here is he's not saying anything about what you do and what you bring to the table. He's saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who causes to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the question. Why are we as a people constantly hoping? Why why is our society hoping? In fact, it's hard if you actually start to think about it for us to make it through a day without using the word hope. Man, I hope it gets better. Man, I hope I get to this season of life. Man, I hope things turn out for the better. Man, I hope my marriage gets through this season. Man, I hope our kids shift and change. Man, I hope I get this promotion. I hope, I hope, I hope. Why are we constantly hoping? Where did that come from? And and maybe where did things go wrong? We have to go back. Constantly, almost every week, what you'll hear us is, is we're going back to try to figure out what has gone wrong. In fact, I would say our hopefulness is pointing us to a good thing. Our hopefulness is pointing us to the fact that originally at one point in time, things were right. 
and the way that God intended them to be. And that one time was in the garden when God created Adam and Eve and they dwelt and lived amongst God. But something went wrong. In fact, later on in our Bible, there's a book called Ezekiel and there's a word that's commonly used there. You can go look it up later. But the Hebrew word is Yahal. And that word is used 187 times in our Old Testament. Sometimes, like in Ezekiel, it's translated exile. But oftentimes that word is translated exposed or bare. So what happened? You see, Adam and Eve sinned against a holy God. And the result of that is they were exiled from the garden. And the best way we can sometimes think about exile is they became exposed. They became bare. We see that because what, what happened is they try to deal with that and they instantly try to make something out of fig leaves to cover up their feeling exposed. You see, they had a security and their security was in a relationship that they had with God and the security that God provided. What I want us to look at today are three things. Ultimately, our main point, Jesus is our hope, but our problem is an insecure, finite hope. Then we're gonna look at security through our eternal hope and then we're going to look at an active growing hope. But right now, what we see in the garden is this insecure, finite hope that Adam and Eve had. You see, they didn't have it because they had God and they had eternity. As humans, did you know that the reason that we are constantly longing for things to be better than they are is because we were created in the image of a holy, good, and perfect God. So every time you hear people saying like, man, I'm just trying to live a better life. Man, I'm trying to do this. Man, I'm trying to do this. We know deep within us intrinsically that we are trying to get back to the state that God created us in. Good and holy state. A good and holy state. And so we believe that our works and our efforts and all that can, can give us the security that we need because we're hoping, we're longing for something as a society and as a culture, we're hoping to try to get back to where we once were. The reason we oftentimes don't long for death is because death was never what we were created for. We were created by God in the image of God who is eternal, which means that we are created to eternally live. We are created by an immortal God, which means that we are created for immortality, which means that all that we're trying to do in life is trying to get back to the state of eternity, trying to get back to the state of immortality. And here's the thing, our souls know deep within us that we were created for eternity. We were created for immortality. And so we are trying as best as we can to get back to that secure standing in that place. What we're trying to do is we're trying to bridge the gap to get back to eternity. The sad thing is, is we think this feeling of being exposed and this feeling of losing hope and this feeling of wanting things to get back to the spot is going to be achieved through works. In fact, I would say the biggest way that we're trying to reinstill or restore hope in our culture and the way that we're trying to do things and get back to something that feels secure is through our works. A few weeks ago, we talked about justification. It's, it's, it's a theological word, which means this. It means that those who have placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ are legally declared righteous before God. It means this. It means that you are seen just as if, so justified, just as if you have never sinned. Because what happened is your sinful life was transferred to Christ on the cross. The removal of sin happened. But then... It's also just as if you had lived an obedient, righteous, and perfect life because all that Christ had, his obedience, his righteousness was transferred to you. 
What I oftentimes hear, even engaging with non-Christians, and maybe that's you inside the room today, is like, man, our world is a messed up place and, and, you, and, and religion's not helping. It's just not helping. What do you do? Man, I just try to live a good life. I try to live a good life. I try to be a good person. I try to take care of my neighbor. And we're like, oh, we have, we have, we have a term for that. That's called justification by works. It's, that's actually called religion. So you are a very religious person? No, I'm not a religious person. Well, everything you're telling me is that your way to fix society is somehow through your religious works and efforts to make society and culture better, to have a place of hope. And what we would say is that's going to get exhausting. Trying to get security trying to get hope, trying to get eternity by looking to the finite things of this world is only going to lead to more insecurity. The reason why I would argue this big statement, the reason why there's despair, disunity, fractions, frustration, emotional anger, turbulence, and all those things in your marriages, in your relationships, and all those things is because you are looking to a finite false security for hope. You're looking to something in this world besides the creator, eternal God. And you were created for that. You were created for eternity. And so somehow you think that something created by God in this world that is finite is going to fix and provide the security that you need. We look to things to provide us hope, to provide us security. Stupid example. But I remember pre-Christian, I feel like I should preface that. I, I would go out with my buddies to the bar and uh, lacked a lot of courage. And, and they would be like, just go ask her to dance, man. Just go ask her to dance. I'd be like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. And they'd be like, yeah, ask her to dance. And, and if it goes wrong, just, just drink it down, you know, just drink the pain down. And then, so I would do that, you know, go ask her to dance. She'd say, no, drink the pain down. Then my buddy would go ask her to dance. She would say, yes, and I'm drinking more pain down, you know? And so it was just like this vicious cycle. This is, this is true. This, this really happened. And my buddies were like, dude, that happened. Just keep drinking down. Apparently it didn't go anywhere because I still remember it, okay? But the hope was is that booze and alcohol is going to deal with the pain that you're feeling that's deep within your soul. But deep within our souls, we know the only thing that is going to deal with the restlessness, the insecurity, and all that is the hope. And our souls know this is the hope provided in something eternal. So when we come to this passage, we have to arrive knowing that what Peter's addressing is in this fallen world, we can trace it all the way back. We, we have become exiled. We have become hopeless. We have become fixated on finite things to fix an eternal problem deep within us, which is why Peter says to a people going through intense pain and suffering, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Do you know what the apostle Peter believed? Is that what we actually need is not better marriages, not better finances, not better careers, not a house, not a relationship, not all of these things. What we need first and foremost is we need eternity restored. <laughs> we need to be reconciled to God. We need to be reconciled back to, to our creator. We need a living hope. What we need is to be born again. That's why it says right here in verse three, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, which is what we're going to look at, our secure eternal hope that we have in Christ. When we arrive at a text that says something like this, we, we, we need to understand what it is to be born again. What Peter is not saying is this. He's not saying, look, you need to be born again. So figure out how you can work that out. Okay, crawl back up in the womb, start the process over and do it, okay? 
That, that's not what Peter's saying. We need to go back and see what Peter is saying and, and who he is actually getting this from is Christ. In John 3, Jesus says this. John 3, 3 through 8. Jesus is talking to a religious leader named Nicodemus, and Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Great logical question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. What Jesus is saying is we need to be born again. You're not going to enter the kingdom of God. You are going to have no hope from an eternal perspective, unless you are born again. And, 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 and he's saying, well, how can you do this? And he's pointing us to this. It is God who ultimately does this work. In, in Christianity, this work is called regeneration, where we get a new heart, and we're given a new spirit, and we're sealed by that spirit, and God's love is poured into our lives. And he's saying, look, it's like the wind. You're trying to figure out the wind and where it comes from, everything like that. It's a miracle. In fact, he supports us if we even go back two chapters in John 1. 12 through 13, Jesus says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. Look here, not of blood, not of your pedigree, nor the will of the flesh, nor you conquering anything, nor the will of man, but of God. How are you born again? How do you get this spirit nature? How do you receive this? God works a miracle by opening your heart to see the beauty and glory of his grace and of the gospel and giving you a faith to place your trust in Christ as your confidence for eternity. We need secure eternal hope. That's what we need. And that's what Peter is taking these people to. And maybe right now you're like, great. What does this have to do for me and my life and the pain and the trials and the suffering that I'm currently going through? Look, this is God's word. And God knew exactly what the people suffering at this time and in this era needed. This letter was written to those in the time of the dispersion. You can go back to verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. What is happening to, to these people? They feel like exiles. They feel exposed. They feel naked. They feel hopeless. Why? Because it's not because they were living somewhere else or sent somewhere else or anything like that. The dispersion and this feeling of exile is simply because of this. They once were friends with their neighbors. They once had open trade. They once had relationships that were going well. And now all of a sudden, people are hostile to them. They're shaming them. They're persecuting them. Why? Because the Jews think they're crazy because they've rejected God, but also the Romans think they're crazy because they don't worship the pantheon of gods. And so people don't like the Christians. And so imagine this, imagine you're driving down a one-way street and you're going the right way, but everyone else is driving against you. 
and, and you're swerving and, and trying to get out of the way. And you're constantly exhausted because everyone's doing this. They're honking the horn. They're flipping you off and all this stuff. And you're like, I'm going the right way. That's what it was like for first century Christians to turn their life over to Christ. And in a lot of ways, that's what it's like living in the Pacific Northwest. You're probably going to get some opposition whenever you live according to God's word and the standard that he set before you. That's probably going to happen. And so God, God saw it fit through Peter's penmanship to say, look, the ultimate thing that people need that are going through this difficult time and this persecution for their faith is to know that you're born again to a living hope. You have eternity stored for you with God. Let's read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look here. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You realize that everything else in this life that you might be living for, that you're placing your hope and your trust and your confidence in, none of that, listen, none of that goes into eternity with you. What goes with you? The living hope of Christ living, abiding inside of you. Your new nature, your new identity, when you trust in, and put your faith in him, he gives you an identity that goes with you into eternity. And that identity is unfading, it's undefiled, and it's imperishable, meaning this, that you cannot change your nature as a child of God. That's the one thing from this life that moves with you into eternity. Houses, wealth, all these other things we place our hope in, they don't go with you. That goes with you. Our problem is, is that we place so much weight and so much hope into things that lead us to despair. So let me say this again. I'm willing to bet that there's struggle in your life right now because you've shifted your hope to something that is finite and something that is not eternal. That currently... You might be living for something that is causing you frustration. You might be placing your hope in something that is bringing you to despair. What are those things? Let me list a few. Wealth. If your hope is in wealth, what happens if you wake up tomorrow and you are jobless? What happens if you get in some serious accident that depletes your savings account? If wealth has the ability to take you into a place of despair, that's where your hope is at, and it's a misplaced hope. Fitness. If your hope is in your fitness, and then you get into an accident, and you're no longer able to work out or obtain the level of fitness that you want, you will have a hope that leads to a lot of despair. Hobbies. If your hope is in the enjoyment of your hobbies, and again, you get into an accident, and you can't do them, Every year, I got to be honest, I look so forward to the hunting trip that I go on with our executive pastor, Brad, who was up here earlier. We don't ever kill anything, right? We are the most unsuccessful hunters ever. But I look so forward to our time. In fact, the past two years, it's been disrupted. The year before last, unfortunately, my wife got COVID and we had to come back early. This year, Brad's wife, Jenna, went into labor, came back early. To put so much hope in these trips seems fickle but it's led to a lot of emotional despair for me, which might sound crazy to you guys, but I put so much weight into these trips and so much hope into them. 
relationships. Some of you actively right now are in a state of despair and frustration because you have shifted your hope into a relationship or relational state that thinking if somehow this is better, that my life will be better. It's a false and fickle hope. What about the church? Some people have placed their hope, not into the living Christ himself, but into the church. If you think the church is ever going to satisfy your greatest longings, you are sadly mistaken. The church is beautiful. It's Christ's bride. But sometimes we hope in our ideology of what the church should look like, which is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, that the people that do the most damage to the church are the people that are hopeful that the church would become exactly what they think that it needs to become. And he says, this way of thinking is idolatrous and pharisaical, and it needs to stop. (laughs) Because you love your version and hope of what the church can be more than the bride itself. Your ideologies. Some people hope in their ideologies. We see this from the right and the left, okay? From the left, we see that you hope through social justice, climate change, and high government, and et cetera, to bring about what our world needs. From the right, we hope in gun rights, free speech, capitalism, and lower taxes, lower government. The right and the left has a hope, not in the living hope of Jesus Christ, but in some how or way this utopian society being brought forth. We hope in seasons. We hope to get through the season we're in. We hope to get through the season in. Or we hope in academics. We hope in knowledge. And the truth is, is I have a friend who once was in an accident and was taken back to a grade level of reading ability. So placing your hope and your ability to read and your knowledge and all that stuff is not a good hope. It's fickle. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Everything that is not eternal is worthless in eternity. So when we're placing all of our hope in all of these things that are not eternal and they're eternally out of date, he's like, it is naturally going to let you down. I wouldn't just say, stop doing this. I would say, repent, because you're placing a hope in something that God never intended you to place your hope in. But I would also say, start. Start remembering the greater hope that you have through eternal life in Jesus Christ. That can't be shaken. That can't be removed. That can't be separated. I'm I'm gonna steal an illustration that Francis Chan once used. But he was trying to say it's so hard for us to fathom eternity. So he had this rope that was laid out all across the stage and you couldn't see the beginning or the end of the rope, but he had it drawn out. It wasn't a tangled up mess like this. So the uh, illustration worked a lot better. But what he did is he stretched it all out. And, And on this rope, I'll even show you. If this rope was without beginning or end, he held up a piece like this, and you can probably hardly see it, but this one's orange, his was black. And he said, do you know what that is? In the scope of eternity, that's your life and your existence here on earth right now. And he said, what are you living for? Our problem is, is that we don't think through an eternal perspective. All we can think about is right here, right now, what can I get out of this life and what is my hope in? And what the apostle Peter's trying to do, what Paul was trying to do and what Jesus was trying to do is shift our way of thinking to say, hey, I'm actually giving you something that is eternal. I'm coming to live inside of you to set up my residence there. And what I'm giving you, it's imperishable, it's unfading, it's kept for you in heaven. It's, it's a hopeful identity. 
But our problem is, again, we place hope so much in the finite things of this world. Let me show you some of mine. So that it's not a picture that I'm preaching at you, but I'm preaching with you. Someone might ask, how does any of this speak to someone who struggles with mental health? Well, hear from your pastor. Here's my medication for antidepressants and anxiety. Here's my medication for ADD. And here's my medication for back pain and inflammation. I would say my hope in what I battle with now and on a daily basis is not in my pain going away, but it's in the scope of eternity knowing that these won't be needed and they won't exist. I used to think, man, if I can get all the medication, maybe, just maybe, the depression will go away and the anxiety will go away and all of that stuff will just dissipate. But the truth is, as anyone who's medicated for things can tell you, that's a fickle hope because it helps and I'm thankful for medication, but it doesn't get rid of it. My hope is in this, it's in eternity. My hope is that one day Christ returns and he goes, Rick, you will no longer have pain. You will no longer feel like you're in an emotional prison like some of you might feel. In fact, it's all going away. And though you've suffered here for a little while, as the text says, through various trials, through hardships and whatnot, you have eternity stored up with you, for you. No pain, no suffering. And so it's really hard sometimes for us to think, boy, how does this help? Well, it helps to know this, that my heart goes out for you when you are going through pain and trials and suffering through various kinds. But the hope that I can tell you is the same hope that I have. It's the same hope that the apostle Peter had. It's the same hope that Paul had. It's the same hope that Christ has, is we have a living hope inside of us. Christ came to live and abide inside of us. That is possible through the miracle of being born again, which God does the work of, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does he do? He removes the sting of sin. He removes death, as Brad preached on last week. We don't have to fear that. What we have is something imperishable, unshakable, that stays with us for eternity. We have Christ. We have him We have the relationship. We have the identity that he's given us as sons and daughters, and it stretches into eternity. We have a secure, eternal hope. But so so we have a gospel hope, but some people might be like, man, this seems so futuristic. Is this only something that we have to look forward to in, in the future? Look at verse 13 with me in 1 Peter. It says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, it's like, man, so set my hope fully on the grace, but it's going to be something that's revealed. And it says this, if we go back a little bit, at the end of verse 7, it says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it seems like all this is so futuristic but it's not. It's not. In fact, the very hope that we have that God will save us at the end of our lives and that we will experience the fullness of his grace. So we right now, through the lens of God, because of what Christ has done and given to us through faith, God sees us as perfect and holy and righteous. We will get to experience the fullness of that whenever Christ returns. But we also recognize this. Our hope right now is still in the gospel. 
It is, it is place all of your hope, Peter says, in the grace that is to come to you. But also we know this, the same grace that is going to be brought to us at the end of our lives, that we will get to see that it's ultimately God's grace that brought us there is the very grace that we stand in. In fact, Romans 5.2 says this, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The same grace that is going to see us at the end is the same grace that currently we are standing in. It's the same grace that saved us from the beginning in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. You see, our living hope is a grace hope, and it's a gospel hope. It's the hope that saved us. It's the hope that we're standing in. It's the hope that's going to see us in eternity and see us through eternity. This is why also Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says in verses 1 and 2, he said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being safe, if it, saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Our hope right now, currently, is the same hope we're going to have for eternity. It's the gospel. The living hope is this, is that Jesus came and was in a manger 2,000 years ago. Hope has a face, it has ears, it has eyes, it has a nose, and it has a mouth, and it has a name, Jesus Christ. Hope grew up to be a full-grown man who obeyed and lived a life of perfection to God. Hope went to a cross and died. Jesus Christ appeared to be hopeless on, a Christ so, uh, on the cross so he could give us hope. Then he went into the grave and he came out of the grave. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that that is the victory and that victory belongs to us. What God did through the gift of hope of Jesus Christ is he restored eternity and immortality back into our lives. When you are born again, Christian, you only die once. And it's more of a stepping stone into eternity. When you are not born again and don't have a living hope of Christ and his spirit living and abiding inside of you, you die twice, once in this world, and then once a separation from God for eternity. He's also given us, though, an active growing hope. Oftentimes when we think of pain and suffering and persecution, we are so thinking about what we are going through here and now in this life. And that for us in the West, honestly, it feels like our persecution is a rocky marriage or something like that. I'm struggling to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Let's remember that around the world today. In fact, Jonathan Merritt explained in Religion News Service in early 2015. Listen to this. Christian persecution reached historic levels in 2014 with approximately 100 million Christians around the world facing possible dire consequences for merely practicing their religion. According to the Open Doors World Watch List report, from imprisonment to torture to beheadings, more Christian worldwide live in fear for their lives than any other time in our modern era. The Voice of the Martyrs or Open Doors share that each month, each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith, 214 churches and church properties are destroyed, 722 forms of violence are committed against Christians, such as beheadings, beatings, abductions, rape, arrest, and forced marriage. This text speaks to us, whatever we're going through, but it speaks to Christians worldwide, whatever they're going through. We need a living hope. We need eternity, and we need to have an eternal focus that though the pain of this life seems unbearable, Christ is going to return. And he does offer us hope right now, the hope that he is with us, the hope that God is good, the hope that God is faithful, and the hope that our hope will grow 
He will grow us into holiness. He will finish the work that he completed. And he's going to grow us in endurance and character. Look at what Romans 5 says. One through therefore, and, and, and we'll wrap up here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Persecution in this life and pain is not evidence of God punishing you. He punished Christ on the cross for you. If there's something going on in this life, instead of hoping it away or wishing it away, my prayer for you today is that you would hope that God would use whatever it is to reshift your focus back into what is eternal. And that God would use whatever is in your life that's presently painful to shift you back to a hope that is actually living and it's pointing to Jesus Christ. And so instead of wishing the trials away, instead of wishing the pain away, which I know is really difficult. I don't wish all of my stuff away anymore. I pray that God would heal me, but I also know this, that maybe it's something that I'll deal with on this side of eternity forever. I don't wish it away. What I wish is that God would continually, day by day, moment by moment, through a living hope that is active and it's growing inside of me, reshift my focus to a living hope of eternity in Jesus Christ. Church family, we can do this a few ways. We recognize that God has given us an eternal family to point us back constantly to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, who is our living hope. He's alive. And his work is what we stand on. It's what has saved us, and it's what will save us for eternity. Our hope is that we have a family that's constantly pointing us back to the work of Christ, our Savior, our living hope. What we also have is we have prayer and access to God. We get to pray to God and, and, and pour out our requests, pour out our pains and pour out our trials to him. And we are heard every moment of every day by a compassionate God who moved toward us by giving us his son and will move toward us by continuing to give us his love. What we also have is God's word that he speaks to us in to remind us of the hope that we have in eternity, to remind us the hope that we have in Christ's work. And so maybe this morning, I'll invite the worship team back up. You're someone who can't make sense of the pain of your life right now, who's going through a difficult trial, who is struggling with mental health, who is struggling with pain and agony, who is struggling with relationships. Let me remind you and encourage you of this. You have something held to you in Christ for you that no one on this earth and nothing can ever manipulate, shift, or change. And it's God's steadfast faithfulness and loving care to you. I won't stand up here and point you to 10 things you can do. I won't stand up here and point you to a promise that maybe God's going to close one door and open up another one because he might bring the whole house down. My encouragement to you is that God will remain faithful to you now, and he will bring you into eternity with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a living hope that we've been born again, that your spirit lives inside of us, 
and that we have a greater hope in Jesus than anything in this world could ever offer. God, we also confess that we are constantly looking to the things that are not eternal to give us only what an eternal God can give us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.